Glad that you're with us this morning at Genesis Community Church. Thank you so much for being here in person. If you're over there outside or you're with us online, it really is a joy uh, to be together, to be in the scriptures, to be lifting up the name of Jesus. And so that's what we will be doing this morning, continuing on in our passage, our whole series uh, that started last year into this year on the Sermon on the Mount, which if you were in one of our D groups, you might have attempted to memorize last year. You might remember some of it, and you might not remember some of it, but as we go week to week, we'll be like, oh yeah, I remember almost memorizing that. That's kind of the goal. I'm going to start with this. For the kids in the room, or young adults, whatever you would prefer to be called, uh, do you remember the time that you got a new video game system, or a new toy, or whatever else it might be. It could be a new baseball bat, it could be a new book, whatever it is that you love. So last time you got one of those things, could your parents or your cousins or your friends keep you quiet about it? No. No. Oh my gosh, did you see the thing I got? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Look at this, look at this. Oh my gosh, I I get it. I was that kid too. But here's the secret. I'm talking to you kids and young adults again. Your parents are the exact same people. They do the exact same thing. It's just the stuff that they want to show off to their friends you think is boring. So we're like, did you check out this new countertop I got? Or did you look at this new doorknob? Oh my gosh, it doesn't stick anymore. And so we get excited about boring things. You get excited about less boring things, but it's funny because each one, the adults or the kids, will look at each other a little askew. Like, why are you so interested in that? I don't understand why you could play that video game for so long. Meanwhile, those same parents are talking about their new tires on their car and how much research they put into it and just how glad they are to have tires that aren't bald and that have a certain safety rating and everything else. You're just like, this is tires? So the conversation goes both ways. I get it. Then we'll kind of say all these kinds of things like, hey, glory to God, I got this new thing. Or if you're super spiritual, you'll use SDG because you like to speak in code. And you say, look at all these cool new things I have. But, and here's the problem, that newness, that coolness that look at my new toy, look at this new thing, are you really excited about this new game, that wears off, doesn't it? It wears off if you have, you know, a cool new house or new floor or new paint. It wears off. And then, be it weeks or months later, you're kind of back where you were, which is just kind of dissatisfied, wishing you had different things. Because accumulation... The gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering of things. It doesn't really satisfy, does it? It's almost like you have to keep doing it in order just to to always get that little bit of an edge or high that you feel when you get new things. And if you can kind of pace your life right, then you can look at this holiday or this birthday or this anniversary, and you can kind of space out the things in such a way that you don't feel as bad. I mean, I mean, I get it. Especially if your birthdays are during the holidays and you feel like Christmas and your birthday are kind of wrapped up into one and you always feel short-changed. Because 
you get one thing. It's like, well, you get more gifts for this, right? But like, we want the pace. We want to feel like we get new things regularly. And if you're in the room today or you're watching along with us and you know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, if you're in the, you know better, right? Like, you, you know what he's taught. You know that, that the eternal value that you get and yet... What happens, right? These, these hearts of ours that, that want to go and just attach to things, that just latch on to new toys and new ideas and new cars and new video games, and, and we just continue to feed ourselves this desire to accumulate, even though we know better, even though we've heard better. So how does knowing Jesus change or challenge our focus on stuff, on things? How should it change that? Well, we want to answer that question, and we'll continue in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. So we just kind of made it through our month of January run. Happy February to you guys. Month of January, we talked about giving, prayer, and fasting as those three disciplines that Jesus says, do these things in secret so that you will be rewarded. Now he takes the theme of reward and treasure and contrasts worldly treasure with heavenly treasure. So we've had this theme of reward for the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. Your heavenly Father will see it and will reward you. But we can be tempted, can't we, to still wonder if that's real. Am I really getting that reward? Is it really coming? And maybe I could just, if I could just find a way to enjoy some of the things on earth, then I will, I'll get the best of both worlds. Right? I get Jesus if that's true, but I also get things, and things are nice. Yeah, the New Testament, in particular, is always challenging our love of things, isn't it? It's always challenging how we view money, wealth, possessions. It's always challenging the way we think about new cars, and new houses, and new clothes, and new toys, and new gadgets, and everything else. You know, Tim Cook is not concerned about your contentment. He would prefer you buy new things all the time, right? New devices. They're all set, right? Planned obsolescence. It's like this thing goes bad, and then you've got to get a new one. I'm wearing the same shirt in this picture in there, too, in just case you're wondering. You go, well, man, my phone is four years old. I need a new one. I need a new one. Pretty soon it won't update. So get more, get more, get more, get more. All of a sudden, we have a house full of devices we don't use and a heart that's empty. We're trying to figure out what gives. What gives? Why do I feel this way? Well, listen to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6. Read the whole passage right now. Do not lay up or store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. are three different statements, and often we take them as three separate statements. Don't store it for yourselves, eyes lamp the body, can't serve God and money. We take each of those and kind of just parcel them out. But they're really three statements that are reinforcing the same idea about our stuff and our heart and our things and our treasure. So what we're going to do this morning is see what our treasures reveal about our hearts and then those last two teachings are really about our, our focus, our devotion. So pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, we are a people who love things. We love to gain and to gather. We love our toys and we love our status that it brings. We love to talk about it. But we know, Father, that that's not the good life and that's not the way that you would have for us. The way of salvation is completely different. It's upended from this world, and so we need your wisdom this morning to guide us in this text. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So, 19, 20, and 21. Do not store up for yourselves or lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, where it's eaten up, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So Jesus is saying, rather, I think plainly, that our treasure reveals our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The things you store up, the things you lay up, the things you gather and accumulate, that that's really going to show what's going on here. That it's a, it's, a, it's a diagnostic tool to see what's going on in here. And he speaks as he has uh, in many spots in the Sermon on the Mount where he gives a negative example. He gives a positive example. He gives an application. You saw it all throughout chapter 5. You heard it say, but I say, thus live like this. The beginning of chapter 6, what he say? Don't pray like this, pray like this. Don't give like this, give like this. Don't fast like this, fast like this. And so he's doing that same kind of teaching which is, is contrastive. He's showing the negative example giving the positive example and he's explaining why. So all of that is continually happening because what's he doing? He's showing us, it's the whole theme of this, he's showing us how those who belong to his kingdom and his way should live. He's offering, in a sense, a playbook. Like this, this, is, this is what matters. This is how it looks. This is, this is what's really going on. and It requires a heart transformation to get in, to really be able to do this. So when our treasure reveals our heart, we may not all play poker, but we all have tells, things that, that, that give, a, give away how we view something. So you all have terrible poker faces, is my point. Because your life demonstrates what you care about. You can't fake it for long. So the negative, don't store up treasures on earth where it can be destroyed. Now how does, just think, how does this world, and what I mean by this world, I just mean like, like those around you who don't know the Lord, 
uh, neighbors, advertisers, those who want your stuff and they want your money. They want you to pay them for things. How do they want you to be focused and what do they think results in status? Well, what do you have? Where are your vacations? What car do you drive? How'd your portfolio do? The more you have, the more blessed you are. It's kind of the thinking. You have more, you're blessed more. You have a lot, God really likes you. If you have a little, you must have done something wrong. You've got to figure out why that is. You didn't pray enough, you didn't give enough, you didn't do enough, because anybody who God loves isn't lacking. But disciples don't think that way, because Jesus even says, he, he, he shows that all of those things that the world's going to tell you to love are temporary. They're temporary. That they disappear. It doesn't matter if they're FDIC insured. At some point in time, they will hold to you, in this life or the next, a zero value. They'll be gone. They're not gone by your own doing, then somebody might just come and take them. This is the other point. Just take them. Think about, well, we know this is real, even though we don't live like it's real. Just think about the amount of money we spend to insure things in a given year. So here are just some numbers. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, but I'm not totally sure. I think it's 2018. The average family health insurance premium was about $20,000. $20,000 over the course of a year to help pay for the health needs that you might have, right? And we're always trying to avoid getting hit in such a huge way that we're up a creek. Like, we just, we're just done. $20,000 that is spent either by your employer or by you and your employer to help cover the chance that you get really sick. And we're not even talking like cream of the crop plan, right? Like, we're talking like it's just going to, on average, it's going to cost $20,000 to insure a family. 20,000. Why? Because your body breaks. It breaks down. Average auto policy, about $1,800. Why? Because you run into things. Or things run into you. Homeowner's insurance, $2,000, bucks. you are going to spend thousands of dollars in the chance that something in your home doesn't work right. But remember, that doesn't cover floods unless you left the bathroom sink on too long. Then it might. But you also have to pay for flood coverage. And the higher a risk you are of living in a flood plain, what happens? Or a flooded area, the more you're going to have to pay to ensure that at least the structure of your house will be covered up to a cap, right? And even the contents of your house might be covered up to an additional cap. Like we pay, think about that. Like tens of thousands of dollars a year is paid because we know things break. Because we know they might get stolen. Because we know they might catch on fire. And the insurance does give us some peace of mind, but it gives us peace of mind because we know it could break. 
We're not ensuring things that might not break. We're ensuring things that we know break. And what is one of the biggest stressors that happens in our life if something happens to us and we're not insured for it? Right? There's nothing there. There's some panic that sets in. Thousands of dollars a year because we know things break. So what is Jesus saying? Don't accumulate things that break. Don't accumulate things that are going to go away, that have no eternal value. Don't do that. It feels so good, though, doesn't it? At times it feels really good to, to be able to show off something new. And the first scratch you get on the new car, it's like, Gah! I remember doing this to my uncle's car. I laid like a ladder or something against his, his new truck. And it just went, it moved like an inch. And what happens? Hans causes the first scratch in his uncle's truck. I was afraid I might die. Right? Like, moth and rust could destroy that, but my uncle could destroy me. Because it was new. It's a new thing. Don't store up because they don't last. Now, there's always this question of like, well, I have a savings account. Is that bad? Or, or I, I, I have, I, I can cover an expense if my AC breaks or if this happens. I'm encouraged, you know, Christians encourage me to have an emergency fund. And, and I want to talk about the difference between accumulation out of fear that something's going to not happen right and realizing that in, in some instances we are covered by God's graces to cover ex- future expenses now. That living to paycheck to paycheck might be a necessity, but it also might be because you don't live in faith. I'm not going to know which one blanketly here. Some people seriously are trying to make ends meet. Other people live at whatever amount of money they get with no consideration for what might come. We know that the accumulation of things isn't always negative uh, because God, we just read this in our reading plan, God gave Joseph the ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh that there were going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so he took the seven years of plenty to store up for these seven years of famine. And so during those seven years, they didn't die. Right? So, so, so foresight, by God's grace, is a good thing. To When you could buy a $30,000 car or an $8,000 car, right? an $8,000 car is going to do what it needs, do what you need. Like, maybe don't max out what you have to get so that you're not stressed on Tuesday when you've got to get a tooth pulled. Because teeth break too, don't they? They're like the worst things to break because they make life miserable. Well, what's the contrast to this then? Don't, don't store up treasures. You can certainly save for things that might come your way. There's stewardship and wisdom there, but to accumulate because you think this life is all that there is, right? This life is all that matters. This is all the focus is. To accumulate for that purpose, no. The contrast is to store up treasures in heaven. Now, I'm not an accountant for heaven, Right? I'm not looking there going, okay, well, they did this, and so they're going to get, you know, it's a 1% rate of return, and they did this thing, and that's a 2%, they did this. Like, I'm not, a, 
I, I don't know how this works, okay? Meaning, I don't, I don't know how what I do here makes a deposit in my heavenly bank account. I don't know how those things are. I know the contrast. Don't store up here, store up there. Well, how do I store up there? Jesus has been teaching us, hasn't he? He's been teaching us how to do this. Which are things done by faith from the heart. The Romans says anything that is not from faith is sin. That we're living in a way that, that compromises faith. That we're living in a sinful way. We're living in a way that doesn't trust God. So the way that we store up, though I can't tell you an amount, that's not the point, is by living by faith. Honoring God from the heart that has been transformed by him and by his grace. You've seen examples of how to do that in chapter 5 when he's telling us how to live reconciled with one another, how to have right relationships, how to pursue fidelity in our marriage, how to go the extra mile with those who have wronged us, loving our enemies, praying so that our Father sees and not so that we are rewarded by man, that we give in a way that hides us as the giver, that we would fast and not try to draw attention to ourselves. All of those are things done from a position of faith. All of those are rewarded. So it means when you're storing up things here versus storing up things there, it means you have set your eyes on what really matters. If you think this life is all that there is, then what are you going to do? But you're going to accumulate for here. If you think the next life is what matters, that life with Christ you have for all eternity, and he returns with a resurrected body and a new life, if that's what matters, then you live for that. And the things here become far less important, don't they? You know, that's our life. When you look only to this world, you hope in this world, and you make decisions based upon this world. This is what there is. Get rich or die trying. Money is how we are valued, and we have to be sure that we have it, or we look like we have it, and just run up as much debt as we possibly can. We need our kids to be in the best activities, the best schools, the best ways. We need to show that off. But storing up treasures in heaven means that we live with our hopes and what's to come, that our time horizon is eternity, not 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, but eternity from now. And it really is a great equalizing question to, to kind of go, will I care about this? This is how I try to handle a lot of my life. Will I care about this in a week, two weeks, five weeks, five years? At what point in time does today's decision not matter? And the longer that I can answer that question, this this decision is going to matter when I'm 60. This decision is going to matter when I'm with the Lord. The more significant it becomes to do. Right? A decision about your personal character and integrity is a decision that has significant impact beyond the next five minutes. 
a decision about whether or not to pray regularly and seek the Lord for good of those around you, that, that decision has eternal consequences. The decision about what you're going to eat for dinner may not. The vehicle you drive, I hope it could last for you. You don't want to make it like, well, will this car work in five minutes? I hope so. Right? Will it work in five years? I hope so. You don't want to. You don't want to just do like live life. You're like, well, I, you know, I just buy clunkers and hope they work. Like, I get, I get why you wouldn't want to have that perspective because you need it to live life. But then there become a point in time where you're starting to really get too worried about the thing, and not a much, not as much about why you need it. So Jesus gives us that punchline, the final line of it that it kind of brings it home, for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Haven't we been talking about the heart every single Sunday? This is where it goes. And so he says, well, where your treasure is, there your heart is. What you care about, what you value, what you long for, where you spend your time, your energy, and your worries, that's really going to show where your heart is. So some simple, simple things to consider. Do you think more about money or ministry? And by ministry, I don't mean like, you know, these sacred functions that we have. Ministering to people. Do you care more about money or ministry? Caring for those around you. Being an engaged church member. Loving people. Praying for them. Or are you really just concerned on your own life? Do you plan your life? Do you plan it out? Or do you pray for God's will to be done? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he's teaching us how to view life. So is your focus on life more about your plans for it or submission to God's will and his plans for it? Do you angle for a promotion or do you seek to be a servant? And honestly, being a servant might mean you don't get the promotion. You might lose out on status and promotion because you've settled into servanthood. And servanthood doesn't often get you promoted because you're seeking the lowest place. If we're not settled on what matters the most, we're always going to be worried about how we appear. What others think of us, what we think of us, what our family thinks of us, what our extended family thinks of us, what our kids think of us, what our neighbors think of us, what our classmates, parents think of us. We're always going to be worried about that if we're not settled in what matters. Jesus matters. Jesus doesn't want us chasing visions of what life could be like. He wants us with the vision of what he will be doing. Every tribe, tongue, language, worshiping him surrendered to him, looking to him. And he helps us, this vision, this look, helps us in these next two statements. Statements are often just taught separately because, because how they feel seems different. Like, they go, well, this seems independent and this seems independent, but we're going to look at how they, how they connect. So 22 through 24, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light in you is darkness, how great, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will be devoted to one and 
hate the other, love the one and hate the other, who be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. This is what's happening. That our, that our, if our treasure reveals our heart, similar language here, but our, our devotion to something reveals our focus on it. Now, that would make sense, right? A devoted father cares about his kid. A devoted worker cares about his or her job. A devoted mother cares about her family. A devoted husband cares about his spouse, right? Like, like when we say a devoted dot, 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 what do we mean? Clearly, it was evidence that they had interest or care for these areas of life. That, that mattered. Because that's where their focus was. Now, Jesus is going to give two illustrations. One's on eyes and light and darkness. And then one is about serving two masters. So the first part, and this is a, this is a fun one, because it's just one that it just kind of feels jammed in there. You're like, well, where did this statement come from? I get the first one. No one, you know, that where your treasures reveals your heart. I get the next one. No one can serve two masters. This middle one, I is the lamp of the body. What in the world? So a few things. I is the lamp of the body. Is about what you see, what you look at. Now, if you can't see, those things that you see affect what's going on in you. In the same way, what's going on in you affects where you look, right? Like, what comes first, chicken or egg? Well, there's internal transformation that leads to a better gaze. But recognize the connection between where we give our attention and what's really going on in us. Where do you look? And as your gaze changes, often what happens in here is changing too. The eye is the lamp of the body that where you look affects what's going on in you. And what's going on in you affects where you want to look. Now, if your eye is healthy, healthy. Now, you see, I wear glasses. I take them off, and I can't see as well. This eye has, you know, whatever it is. that can't. Everything looks like double-visioned, right? <clears throat> Stigmatism, is that what it's called? <clears throat> Where light looks funny. So, like, is my eye healthy? We're missing the point there, right? Like, we're missing the point because... Remember, like, having bad physical vision just comes with aging. Unless, for whatever reason, you ate a lot of carrots. And so we're not saying, well, if you can see really clearly, then, then you're better. But if you can't see clearly, then, then you're bad. That's not the point here. <clears throat> Health is an interesting way to look at it because, because one of your translations might say generous or another one might say clear. They're trying to get at this idea of like, what, what, is, this, what is this saying? And I think the idea here is if your eye is sincere, if it's single in its approach, if it's looking at the right things singularly, then it's healthy. It's healthy. If it's focused in the right places, then it's healthy. And when it's focused in the right places, what happens? Looking here. Now, now <clears throat> this might sound just a little too silly, but I, I, I bet this goes for all of you, is that when you give your eye and your attention and your focus on to things that don't matter, I would bargain with you or uh, bet with you that what goes on in you also becomes a little more anxious that when you are giving more time to things of this world, when you're staring at bank accounts, and when you're staring at 
what's coming next, or you're staring at the weather, or you're staring at the news, or you're staring at whatever it might be. Have you ever noticed that what's going on in you often follows along? That, 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 that there's something happening, that when your gaze is at, on the wrong things, it affects you and where you want to give attention. I talk to people about this, and <clears throat> my advice often when people tell me, like, I don't want to read the Bible anymore. I want to want to read the Bible. Hey, give me these kind of, yeah, I showed up to you, and they're like, I just don't want to read it. I'm just not interested in reading it, or I'm just not interested in praying, or I'm just not interested in this. And I'm like, you know why? Because you've been on a diet of junk food. So of course you're not interested. Like, like it, it's, not like, it's not like this magic thing happens and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, no. Like, you've slowly but surely given interest and attention to things that don't matter and all of a sudden you're realizing that that's affected how you should view things that do matter. It's the same thing where like 10 years later, we're like, how have I gained 30 pounds? I'm like, three pounds a year. That's how. You don't think about it in the moment. You just think about it once you get on the other end. That's how. If your eye is healthy, if you're focused in the right way, then your whole body's full of light. But if your eye is bad, I mean it's focused in the wrong ways, giving attention to the wrong things, too focused on money, possessions, life here. If it's focused there, then what happens? Your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness... Meaning, if what's going on is darkness, well, how great is that? What does it need? It needs a complete transformation, doesn't it? It needs the work of Jesus in our hearts. In fact, the promise of the new covenant is that I, I'll give you new hearts and I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's the promise God gives to those who believe in these Believe in the work of Jesus, the Spirit is in us, and it transforms us, and what? No longer are we full of darkness. But there's always this exhortation, you'll hear this, like language, like walk as children of light. Not, not because you don't belong to God if you're looking in the wrong places and you've placed your faith in Jesus, but because you always have to be reminded to look in the right places. Constantly. We constantly need this because our sin so easily encumbers and it frustrates us and it bothers us and it moves our attention in the wrong direction. So it's always there, isn't it? And our flesh is pulling us and it's telling us to look at these things and focus on status and focus here and focus on wealth and be glad and do this and get bigger and get better and all of those things that we begin to think about. So that constant battle is going on and what does it take takes for us regular, regular, disciplined, obedient, gazing upon Jesus through his scriptures, the reorienting of our minds and hearts day by day. If we hang on Sunday morning and the 75 minutes we have together as the exclusive time that we give attention to things of God, that we will often come in here tired, discouraged and disengaged. Because we've been looking in the wrong places six days a week, maybe six and a half days a week. 
and we expect half a day to make up all the difference for us. It's a regular, regular, attentive look at God so that we see correctly. Perhaps if you feel burdened, struggling, or maybe even in a sense greedy and unconcerned with being generous, maybe it's related to our gaze. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe it's related to our focus. Maybe we're just looking in the wrong places to find the things that are lasting. Believer and unbeliever can do this, can't they? Unbeliever is going to always be in this person. The person who doesn't belong to God is always looking for value and satisfaction in the things of this world. But the believer, even through the flesh, will sometimes be, be tempted to gaze in the wrong places, look in the wrong ways, pursue the wrong things. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That, that If there's something going on in you that seems askew, maybe it's because you're looking in the wrong places for what matters. And then Jesus explains why that tension might even be there in the next verses. Verse 24, next, next statement. No one can serve two masters. Right? You can't look at light and darkness. You can't look at good and bad and expect to be good. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. It doesn't work. Why? Two different kingdoms. You could say this, two different economies. There are two different ways of operating. You can't operate in God's economy and operate in the world's economy and expect for them to both serve you in a way that honors God. You can't live in one and the other. It doesn't happen. So you either devote your attention to God or you don't. It's one of those things that we just can't straddle. It's not going to work. And when you try, what happens? Anxiety. That's actually going to be next week's passage. When you try to, to live in both worlds or be concerned about both things or give interest to both, what starts to happen? But you well up with anxiety over what's going to come. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to do? So Jesus moves right from this teaching into the next for next week, which is don't be anxious. But anxiety requires what? Where are we looking? Where are we looking? How are we focused? Just think of it this way then. If you can't serve two masters, maybe that doesn't help us as much. But this might. You can't be sick and healthy at the same time. Right? You're either sick or you're not. Like, so, so if you're sick, you're sick, and if you're not, you're not. Like, well, it's just a cold. I'm like, it's still sickness. You're not not sick right now. Right? Some illnesses are worse than others in your body, but you can't say, well, I'm, you can't have a clean bill of health and also have somebody go, but you're also sick. It's one or the other. And that's what he's saying. You, you, can't, you can't be living for this world and living for the world, or for the Lord. You're going to be sick. That's what's going to happen. If you're living for this world and trying to live for the Lord, one wins out. Singular focus. Singular devotion. 
Why? Because they're ways of two different kingdoms. That the way of Jesus is a way of generosity and commitment to a world beyond our own. And you're no longer concerned about things or your or accumulation or anything about it because in the way of this world, the contrast is a way of exalting yourself and your status and your advancement. And if you read just through Matthew 5 and 6, you're going to see that this is not the way of Jesus. This isn't what he teaches. He doesn't teach about self-advancement. Where? I mean, I will, I'll ask you, if you want to challenge the idea, where do the scriptures teach about self-advancement? Making your life better. And let's say you find one passage that could go, lend yourself to it, or two passages that lend, lend to the idea. Let's just say you can find it. How many can you find about servanthood, suffering, pain, generosity, the giving of yourself, and just, just compare the way of Jesus and the way of the world. So the challenge for us is, I think, simple, though it might be difficult to do, and it's this, treasure Jesus over things. Treasure Jesus over things. Like, like, oh yeah, of course. No, no, I mean treasure Jesus over things. If our treasure reveals our heart and devotion reveals our focus, then Jesus has to be our treasure. So much of our lives can be spent obsessing about the future. How much money we will have at retirement. How much will our kids have. What career path is the best path to achieve all those ends. Then it gets multiplied when we consider how our friends live, how they vacation, what they drive. And then it goes even further and further and further as we compare these things. It's much more easy to talk about the things we own or have bought or those kinds of life decisions we're trying to make than to talk about matters of the heart and how the Lord is challenging us, transforming us, asking us to change or repent. Those are hard conversations. Easy conversations are, who do you think is going to win today? That's the easy one. It is difficult for us to live this way, even empowered by the Spirit, because the flesh is like, anytime that happens, right? The flesh is like, nope, don't do that. Don't focus there. But as Galatians tell us, the flesh and the spirit have a war. They're at war against one another. That if there's not a war there, then maybe one side's already won. An early church father and preacher, John Chrysostom, maybe you heard his name, he says it like this, for riches and the desire of wealth is a drunkenness of the soul. A drunkenness of the soul. And we live in one of the richest countries in the world. Do you think, I mean, honestly, do you think that perhaps living where you live affects how you view things? Yeah, absolutely. Also, as long as you can kind of skirt right below what other people around you do, then you feel like you're a martyr for the cause of Christ. And maybe our measurement's totally off because Jesus is our measurement, right? He's the way we look. He's where our attention should be. 
But let us not think that our surroundings don't in some way affect how we live and where we focus. It affects me. It affects us. To treasure Jesus over things, that God, it means that God gets your best attention, your time, and your gaze. The longer you look there, the more you see life differently. You know what an afterimage is, right? If you stare at a light long enough and you look at other things and you blink at them and you still see the light, right? That's the afterimage. I can't see any of you now because I stared at that one. If we gaze at Jesus, what happens? We look at this world and all of a sudden it doesn't look the same. It changes. The more we read, the more we engage, the more we discuss, even in regards to how we as a church family are memorizing the Psalms this year, as we memorize the Psalms and we read, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. When we we think about that passage in light of the one who is blessed because he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers, right? When we think about that, what is that about? Gaze, attention. Where do we look? To parents in the room, your kids aren't going to be satisfied with more things. They're not. They don't need more stuff. They need your devotion to God, and from that, your care for them. That's what they need. They don't need new toys. Sorry, kids, if I don't I mean telling your parents that, but it's true, and you know it. They don't need new toys. They need your gaze at Jesus, and from your gaze at Jesus, your gaze at them. To give generously means that we treasure the world to come much more than the world that is. To be a generous giver is a mark of someone who goes, this world is passing away. So I am not ultimately concerned about having a few more dollars in the bank account when I die. Then when tough times come, if we continue to gaze at Jesus and live for his purposes and his ways, when tough times come, we have the perspective that is needed, one that endures. In fact, in the letter to the Hebrews, a group of Jewish Christians who were being tempted to turn away from Jesus because of the persecution that was coming, and if they just stepped back into Judaism, they would be more likely to be not persecuted, right? Like, so if they could just kind of give up the Jesus part, they perhaps would be safer. And the author reminds them of how they used to live, which is awesome. He reminds them of how they used to live to encourage them to keep doing that. You ever need that sometimes? Or somebody says to you, hey, hey, remember how it was like five years ago? Remember how much energy you had and enthusiasm you had for the Lord? Remember your concern then? That's what he's doing here. He's saying, remember the times when this happened. And he's actually using that as a, as a, as a reason to say, don't leave. Like, you're in it. God's changed you. 
And so Hebrews 10, 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. And listen to this, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew it didn't matter. And I read that and we're like, uh. But why do you accept it? Because you knew that you had a better possession and one that no one could take away. It's not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And when the treasures on earth leave, what do you do? You worship. You worship. Because you get to live out an opportunity to say, that didn't matter. When Jesus is the one you look at, people stealing from you is an opportunity for joy. For joy. For worship. If you haven't ever put your faith in Jesus, believed on him and his sacrifice for you and your salvation, then perhaps this idea is foreign to you. Well, what I would ask you to do in this moment is turn from your sin and to Jesus and as you walk with him, these things become clearer. They become clearer. Let him show you the parts of your own heart that don't trust, that latch on to possessions, that seek to accumulate so that you feel safe, secure, and have great status. Let him do that instruction in you. You just surrender. Citizens of heaven live in a different economy where things don't matter and Jesus does. He's our Lord. So let's follow him.